Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. How have devices changed the way children relate to each other at school? Our guest says while technology is expanding children's horizons in the classroom, it has changed the dynamics of human connection, learning and teaching. A research fellow at Auckland University's Faculty of Education and Social Work with a doctoral degree in educational psychology, Dr Mohammed Alansari's teaching and research focuses on classroom practices and relationships and how they impact on how well children at primary and tertiary level socialise and learn. He's also involved in the I Have a Dream project, which looks at the impact of significant others on kids' lives. Dr Alansari uh, is speaking at a free Raising the Bar event at Auckland next Tuesday. There'll be details on our webpage. And uh, he is in the Auckland studio. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good, thanks. It's an interesting segue from talking about the, the digital curriculum to this. Oh, absolutely. I was actually tuning in. I was like, oh, I want to chip in as well. So <laughs> it was a very interesting topic, I must say. Well, let's pick up because there's a difference between the concepts, the underlying concepts of technology as part of the curriculum right. and having gadgets. And how do That's you right. see this? That's right. So uh, the important thing to always remember is that technology on its own will not boost students' achievement. It's not the technology or the gadget, it's how you use it. And one of the things that we need to push for is how do we utilise technology in the classroom in a way that complements what we do and how do we prepare teachers to have a better understanding of this technology and how does it enrich the learning experiences of our students. I think your previous speaker is absolutely right. We put in all this technology and we expect our teachers to know how to use them when in fact we don't provide enough professional development that suggests how do we do so and how does it integrate with the 101 things that all of our good teachers already do so they just see it as an extra thing uh, on top of their list and and that's detrimental actually so it's a challenge for us to well first of all accept that with the modern technological world things are changing the way that we learn changes and so we got to be two steps of our, of our of our students which means we need to relearn and rethink how do we use technology to enrich what we do and how we do it when we talk about technology in the classroom how much is there now Oh, I tell you, you do one Google search, Catherine, <laughs> and look at all the things that are available out there. I mean, for example, you can now use smartphones, iPads, and tablets and all these things. You can use different learning management systems. You can use apps and online platforms or websites that will help you organize your thoughts, organize your searches, organize your projects, and so on and so forth. One of the things that I, uh, I've argued for recently is that I think we moved away from the notion of... The 
the information age to the information overload age. Nowadays, when we get our students to Google something or to search for something online, not only do they encounter one or two pages worth of results, but hundreds of pages worth of results. And that means that now our students got to figure out how to swift and scan through all of this information. How do they validate information? How do they check that it's credible versus not credible? You know, and that's a completely different way of thinking about the information that they didn't need to do before in a traditional classroom setting. And it's things we didn't have to go through growing up as well. And to me, that changes the role of the teacher with the introduction of technology because in one sense, yes, we are teaching, we are instructing, we are facilitating learning environments, but also now our role became more of guides and navigators to help students critically think about the technology and all the information that the technology provides them with access to. No, I'm just thinking, before we get to the point of whether all this is impacting on relationships, mm. could we start with what a good model looks like? They need to learn because their mm -hmm. lives are going to be full of it. That's How right. to search, navigate, discard and focus on what matters. Are you seeing that happening in some classrooms and not in others? Yes. Um, you get to some classes and you realise that students get in from day one, they, are not, they know exactly what to do, where to sit and how to use technology. You sit into other classes where you realise that students, it takes them 10 to 15 minutes to figure out what are they going to do today, how are they going to use technology, or how to be, or how to sit in a Google Classroom, for example. And that's 15 minutes out of a 15 minute um, lesson. Um, by the time the teacher gets on with it, the class is already over. And so for me, it's a combination of class management techniques to incorporate technology, but also to prepare students for a change in practice or a change in instruction as well. Again, there's a whole lot of pressure now for teachers to be as digitally fluent as their students. And unless you have that kind of preparation, you're bound to get into classes where teachers will say, no, nah, let's get back to the old ways. What then are your observations about what's happening to the human relationships between the teacher and the student and between the students and each other since mm. the advent of tech? Again, I'm sure it's a huge spectrum, but perhaps oh, give us the two extremes <laughs> and then the optimum. Um, I think I can speak to two main observations. Um, the first one is what constitutes a relationship nowadays, to me, is a very interesting question. Because growing up and in previous generations, a relationship, a human relationship, is formed via face-to-face -face discussions, going out, playing out in the field, um, doing homework together, playing sports, talking about feelings and all these other stuff that gets you started into a relationship. Nowadays, with technology, a relationship is formed if you talk to someone online more than face-to-face, -face, if you share funny memes and stories and gifts all the time, um, if you share information or if you help each other navigate information online. And that changes how we form relationships and how do we know that a relationship is currently being established. And to me, that's interesting because no one knows how a human relation would look like 10 or 15 years from now because of the, the ever-changing role of technology and ever-changing role of individuals within our society. But What's also interesting is that we're more and more finding that whether a relationship is formed via one student to another with technology or without technology, 
students are reporting the same emotional um, closeness. They still react to a relationship, whether it's face-to-face or online, in the same way. In other words, they could have a conversation or series of, of, of connections or relationships with people online. And if you get them talking about how, how, that, how much that friend means to them, they would talk about that person in the same way you would talk about someone else you've met and known for years face-to-face. So it doesn't change, interestingly, the emotional closeness. Perhaps what it changes is the socialising skills. Um, obviously, in a face-to-face kind of situation, there's more of giving and taking, um, how to chip in conversations, how to talk, how to say certain phrases that is now missing with the, with the introduction of technology. But it doesn't seem to change how students or people in general react to relationships online or offline. And I find that to be quite interesting, actually. It's really important, though, because those Mm. social cues that we get when we're in face-to-face contact are absolutely critical to later. Goodness, if we think about all the issues we have around sexual consent Mm. You know, later in life, and being able to read physical cues. Reading cues, that's right, that's right. The problem for adults, anyway, for many of us online, is that the um, the subtleties in the communications are often misunderstood or mis or misread. That's right. Now, these kids, in the way that they conduct their their, their relationships online, mm-hmm. are they any better at picking up cues or not? Um, picking up social cues. Yeah. Well, the cues will be different online and offline, but we're finding that people who use technology more than before or people who immerse themselves in in using digital platforms for a significant amount of time are less likely to pick up social cues face-to-face. Right. What we're finding more and more is that students who spend more time online are more likely to report issues around isolation, loneliness, or trouble um, um, with socialising. And, and I don't want to say the real world, but I want to say the offline offline world because to some people being on that digital platform is their reality if you know what I mean. IRL is now online. <laughs> oh yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah okay. So so you know so there are things that technology have introduced that we didn't have before but at the same time it's taken away some of the things that we value and I guess for us now as a generation or a society we got to ask when it comes to the things that we gained how do we foster those even more? But with the things that we have lost, um, face-to-face connections, picking up social cues, problem-solving on the spot, um, debating or disagreeing with someone in person, are we going to provide different platforms for students or just humans to practice these in a different way? And to me, that might help us better position technology. So does that mean you need to be, bizarre as it sounds, deliberate about building into your school day yes. these actual physical connections. Oh, yes, I don't need to I need you I don't need you to finish the question. I know where you're going. Of course we should. <laughs> because you know what I'm saying? You think you are oh, totally. having face to face contact in your class because mm-hmm. the kids are there in groups talking or yeah. um, maybe you're still up the front talking or a kid is talking to the class. Mm. But you know full well they may well be on their gadgets and devices. Um, That's right. some different schools have different positions on this. That's right. So how do you physically or strategically ensure not Mm. only presence but engagement in the kinds of situations we're discussing? Right. It involves a combination of being explicit in your teaching and instruction but also getting students to articulate what they're doing and why they're doing it. So we're trying to get our teachers nowadays to be explicit in teaching students not just 
content, but also how to learn the content and how to approach different problems. You want the learning strategies, you want the socializing skills to be explicitly taught for a number of reasons. But also in classes where there's a huge reliance on technology, what we also try to do is to get our teachers to sit down with students and tell them, could you walk me through how you've concluded this using that device or that gadget? Or could you please teach that skill to someone else who's next to you who might not have a laptop anymore? I mean, some of the little things that I've observed recently in a school is that they're trying to um, foster collaborative learning activities and collaboration in general. And one of the things that they do is they give a group of five students just one laptop to use. And the idea behind this is that you'll have one leader doing the whole data entering and coding, but they have to teach everyone else. And everyone else got to feed that person the information and the laptop rotate from one task to another between students. And so there are different strategies that our teachers are using just to get students to socialize um, in and out of their usage of technology. That is a really important point because what we keep hearing all the time is the message when it comes to their practical preparation mm. for life, for, for working life. Mm is the ability to work in teams and problem-solving totally teams. Right. So get rid of the individual devices and have them working on one device, hmm. and they are face-to-face -face collaborating even with the device still there. Yep. I mean, one of the interesting debates in the literature uh, are about fully online learning environments. Do we need to see our students, or can we just trust that we're going to provide an online learning management system, and off they go, they're going to learn on their own. But what we're finding is that what actually predicts student outcomes is if you start with a face-to-face -face learning environment, and then you slowly move them online, or have a combination of both. And the reason behind that is you want to teach some of those skills explicitly and on the spot, and then students can feel comfortable and independent enough to do it later on. And so I, I absolutely agree with you. It's employability skills and it's transferable skills that students will need at some point. Is there still a place, though, for the physiology of the human, bra uh, the human being, from the wiring of our brains? Is there mm. still a need for one child to look another child straight in the eyes and talk and communicate without a damn device in the middle? Yes. And is there enough of that happening in play and in formal settings? Mm. I think um, because schools have a great deal of autonomy in terms of how they utilise technology and to what extent, I think we've got pockets of schools who understand, acknowledge the importance of face-to-face -face interaction, of play, of expressiveness, of creativity. And so they have a lot of slots for students to get rid of technology and be as expressive as they can. And I'm actually quite an advocate of that kind of strategy where you have some time where they use technology, but then you have other times where it's simply about the human body, the human interactions, talking to someone in person. Because Eye contact is so important to our well-being. Absolutely. And physical absolutely. touch, appropriate physical touch, which you used to get when you were playing sport or playing tag or doing this. That's right. We need we need the stuff. We can't conduct our relationships at a, at a physical distance, no matter how effective the technology may be. No. I mean, one of the examples that I often tell my students when I'm teaching is I use the example of an OE, an overseas experience. Imagine if someone, instead of going for an overseas experience for a whole year, that they simply sit at home and read about that country online for a whole year and watches videos about it. It's not the same. It doesn't evoke the same emotions. It's not the same experiences. There are things that you want to go and do and see and touch with your hands that I don't think they're replaceable yet. What 
who are the children you're worried about? Are many navigating it okay um, and with assistance from educators and, and parents okay? Are there some that you particularly need to watch out for? And if so, what are the signs? Mm. Um, I personally, in my research, I often worry about students who don't, um, who are not motivated to learn in the classroom who, or who feel like they're forced to attend school. They don't know what they want to do with their lives. So often students who tell you that they don't want to put on any effort with school, they don't know why they're there in the first place, they don't have a lot of friends in their life, or mum and dad are not in the picture, are the ones who are more likely to engage in risky behaviours over time. But also they're the ones who might use technology as an escape but it's, an, it's, it's not the right kind of way because they use it to unlearn everything else, to stay away from everyone else. And that means that there's no monitoring, there's no critical thinking happening. I'm just going to use it and it doesn't matter where it will take me. With those students, I'm quite cautious and worried about usually. Let's come back to the role of the teacher then. We talked about it broadly. You are now helping them navigate this massive sense of incoming. Mm. In practice, what are you seeing the changes being for teachers. Give us some actual solid examples, including mm. some of the social skill stuff that we were talking about. But, you know, right. what, what does it look like now for a teacher doing it well? Right. A teacher um, socialising well, fostering positive relationships well with students, with the existence of technology, is one who would take some of their, um, some time of their busy schedule to sit down with the student and say, how are things going? Um, celebrate their success with them, ask them questions, but also is there when the student is stuck with an activity or a problem, whether it's with using the technology or with an activity in the class. It's someone who would understand or would pick up whether someone is feeling vulnerable, lonely, or requires additional both personal and professional support. Um, we've got this project up north that it's a partnership between us and a charitable trust. It's called I Have a Dream and it's currently taking place in Northland. And the idea behind that is that it's a school-wide intervention program with over 700 kids at the moment. And we're asking the basic question, what happens if we introduce a significant knowledgeable other in the lives of vulnerable children and help those children navigate a grey future to get them realise that they can achieve if they wanted to? Would that change anything? And some of the feedback from the students is telling us that those mentors, navigators that we introduced are actually quite supportive of their learning. They have, a, they have a good positive relationship with them and that relationship is key because via relationships there's trust, there's openness to feedback and there's acting on feedback. And it's the same things that we preach about when it comes in to our teacher education programs. And so we're finding that those kind of teachers or mentors are the ones who are likely to make a difference in the lives of our students, actually whether there is technology or not. What are your standout conclusions from all this work? How do you sum it all up? Oh, how do I sum it all up? Oh, Catherine. Well, tell you what, I'm going to sum up this in my Raising the Bar next Tuesday, so that's a nice way of segueing to that. But... I think to sum all of this up, human connections and high teaching and personal expectations are key, whether the te whether technology exists or not. And instead of seeing technology as a beast or an evil, we've got to acknowledge that now it is a crucial part of our lives. And how does it change our roles as parents, 
teachers, colleagues or friends of students or, or just anyone else in our lives, really. The trick is not to fear it, but just to see it as a potential that will move us even further. Does it mean, though, that you do have to build some structure in and manage? You can't just say, oh, oh it's totally. inevitable. Yeah. Yes. You have to factor in new kind of learning for technology, new kind of learning for fostering relationships in a changed environment. You can't use strategies from the 50s or the 60s <laughs> in a 2019 classroom expecting them to work. Right, And so it involves a process of us rethinking what we do and how do we do it, rethinking the new kind of resources that we have, and rethinking the kind of students that we have. They're not the same as previous generations, specifically because of technology, because of the increased pressure and workload that's associated with simply existing in today's world. And what so, they do have, though, is the same physiology and psychology and brain that needs... It needs to be... Mm-hmm nourished and supported exactly right through different approaches Indeed. to the to the same outcome which is a, right. a healthy social individual absolutely so although relationships might um, might be different these days but the concept or the importance of relationships with human beings stays the same over time thank you Mohammed Mohammed Anazari and Dr Anazari speaking at a free raising the bar event in Auckland next Tuesday you can get the details of that on our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash nine to noon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.